Welcome to Building Teams with Teams & Co, where we explore how leaders can empower their teams, achieve ambitious strategies, and deliver an exceptional customer experience. Views expressed by guests are their own and may not reflect the views of Teams & Co. Mention of particular products or services and participation of a guest does not imply an endorsement by Teams & Co. The information provided is for educational and entertainment purposes and should not be taken as professional advice. everybody. Welcome to Building Teams with Teams & Co. Today, we're excited to welcome Leah Craig Fieser, the Executive Director of Brother Wolf Animal Rescue, as our guest. Welcome, Leah. Thanks so much for having me. We are really excited. Um, it's April, and April 30th is uh, Adopt a Shelter Pet Day. So in honor of that, we wanted to invite you as our guest to be able to talk about the wonderful work that volunteers and staff members around the country do to adopt out shelter pets. Uh, so thank you for joining us for this special episode. Absolutely. It's my favorite topic. We will uh, let the listeners know that um, we had a very um, special requirement uh, for this podcast, which is I actually had the pleasure of adopting my pet from Brother Wolf. Um, and so we have, a, we have a special connection and uh, really excited to kind of learn more about the organization, learn more about your team, and also the work that you do with other shelters. Absolutely. So maybe we could kick off that way. Maybe you could just tell us and our listeners a little bit about Brother Wolf, about your role at Brother Wolf as the uh, executive director, and, and we'll get started. Yeah, thanks so much. So Brother Wolf has been around since um, 2007, and our mission is to better the lives of companion animals and the people who love them. So we care so much about that human-animal bond. I think many of us who have pets in our lives or have at one time or another really understand how much joy and laughter, companionship and comfort they can add to our lives. And we see the beauty of that on both sides. So we see how happy it makes that pet to be a part of that family and to have this wonderful existence of toys and treats and companionship on their end. And this really what becomes this vibrant lifestyle between the pet and their family, you find yourselves doing things that you might not otherwise. I know a lot of people during COVID were so happy that they had their pets with them at home, you know, had someone in their home to spend time with, and then also gets them out of their home to walk around their neighborhood. Um, maybe you meet other people that have pets. It's just this really wonderful ripple effect that happens, and we care so deeply about that connection. So we want the pet to have the best life possible, and we know that humans are just as an important piece in that. And so for us, we're really trying to serve our community to bring this joy and this love and this companionship um, into the homes of our people in our community and to place these animals into homes that are going to give that love right back to them. So, you know, it's a wonderful field to be in. I always knew I wanted to go into animal welfare and every day is different. <laughs> we never know like what's going to come through your door. It's a challenging field to be in. Um, and there's so many amazing, heartwarming stories. It's just really the best thing in the world. That's that's wonderful to hear. And, and I, I can definitely resonate with that. It, it's lovely to have your pet, especially um, during such a, a challenging year. Um, but also just really, really wonderful to hear all of the other heartwarming stories um, in terms of of people adopting pets and and caring for those pets and 
Maybe you could tell us a little bit about the programs that you have at Brother Wolf. It looks like from your website, you have a pretty extensive kind of set of services that you use to kind of fulfill your mission. Absolutely. So just to kind of give you like the landscape of what we're working in in North Carolina, um, it might be surprising, but North Carolina is the third worst state in the entire country for the euthanization of shelter animals. So that means that more shelter animals sadly are dying in North Carolina than almost any other um, state in our country. And so Brother Wolf is vital to helping these animals. And so one of the main things we do is we partner with other shelters because there are so many shelters that are just over capacity all the time. And they get to the point where they're having to make really hard decisions because you have all of your kennels full and people keep bringing more animals to you. And so what we do is um, we go to these shelters that have lower foot traffic than we do, um, that have traditionally a lower population in their community, meaning less adoptable homes are just there. Um, and we talk to these shelters and see how we can help them. And most of the time that looks like getting animals out because they need to make more room for the animals that are continuing to come in. So we take animals from um, shelters within Western North Carolina, some degree to like Western Tennessee and Northern South Carolina. We work right now in about a two and a half hour radius for helping animals and bringing them here. And it's so incredible. Like we just actually this week, um, we went to a shelter partner. We got a van load of dogs. They were completely full. You know, it's so stressful for those people who are working at this small rural shelter. Um, and they're so overburdened by the number of animals coming in the door. They're so thankful for us to be able to help them. And then we get to turn around and, and tell them amazing things. Like literally we unloaded that van of dogs and one of the dogs went home if within 15 minutes <laughs> because someone saw that dog get unloaded from the van and walk into the Brother Wolf Adoption Center and was like, I want to meet that dog. And it was a great connection. The dog obviously really enjoyed them and they connected with the dog right away. And this is a dog that had been sitting in a shelter for weeks. And it's just about, you know, here we have the luxury of adopters flooding in. And we're so glad to live in a community where people really champion adoption. They really want to, to adopt an animal. And so we are connecting the dots. And by doing so, we're saving lives. Um, at Brother Wolf, we never euthanize an animal because of lack of space or because they've been here for too long. So we're always really addressing the individual animal's need. Uh, we do lots and lots of medical care for these animals. You know, animals come to us in all kinds of conditions. And so we take each animal as an individual case and meet their specific needs. And of course, our end goal is always getting them into an adoptive home. And while that work is so important and it's something we do every single day, at the same time, we need to be aware of working on the other side of that issue, right? So there's animals flooding into the shelter system and we need to help them once they're in that shelter system, but we need to stop the flood of the animals into the shelter system in the first place. And so another critical component of what Brother Wolf does is affordable spay and neuter. So we have a mobile unit that travels to traditionally rural counties and also our county um, in Asheville, North Carolina here, and we offer affordable spay and neuter services. 
because spay and neuter is one of the most impactful way to decrease the number of animals that are going into your shelter system. So if animals are having less unwanted litters, then those unwanted litters aren't ending up in your shelter and causing the, that shelter to be overburdened and kind of, you know, just the cycle continues. So while we, we want to work on both sides of the issue, we want to help um, fix the problem of shelters being overburdened and crowded in the first place and having to make decisions based on space. We never want that to happen. We never want an animal to lose their life only because they were in the wrong spot at the wrong time. And we want to take those animals and bring them here where we can get them into great homes. And we also want to make sure that we're helping the community solve the problem um, at the component of spay and neuter from the first point. Now, to do that, I, I imagine you have uh, a pretty, you know, um, maybe not big team internally, but a lot of team members within your staff and then also volunteers. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how do you lead an organization that has both an internal team and then um, a lot of volunteers who are, you know, ready and willing to, to help support these uh, companion animals as well. Yeah, last year we impacted over 9,000 animals and we have a team of about 30 people. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's a lot of things to do. And the people who work at Brother Wolf are extremely passionate, obviously very hardworking, and a lot happens here every single day. So uh, internally, we, uh, we have about 30 people and it's so important in any nonprofit to really be connected to the mission that you're serving. And we're so lucky to have team members who are just very, very passionate about what we do. And then we do have hundreds of volunteers who are very intertwined with what we do on a daily basis. In the last year, we had hundreds of people sign on as foster homes. This has always been a huge component of what Brother Wolf does. And about 70% of the animals we take in will spend time in a foster home. So imagine if we didn't have that resource. I mean, we would not be able to help, you know, a fraction of the animals who depend on us. Because when we go to these other shelters and they tell us that they're really full and that they need help, then, well, we're also full sometimes too, right? There's a lot of animals who need help. And so we rely on our fosters. We send them these emails saying, you know, these are all the animals that are in this other shelter that need to get out. And then they go to work and say, okay, I can take this one. And it, it's, it's great because it's a commitment that can be short for people, you know, like you can save a, a shelter dog's life by just providing a safe place for them to land for three days. It can be a really short commitment, but you're critical to that flow of saving lives in what we do. And so our volunteers are so important to us. And we also have volunteers who, of course, are boots on the ground at the shelter. Um, our most popular activity here with volunteers that Tracy was a part of <laughs> is our hiking program. So we're lucky to be in Asheville, North Carolina. We have wonderful hiking trails surrounding us. Of course, the dogs love getting out on the trails. And, you know, no matter what, like a shelter is going to be stressful for an animal, uh, the best situation is to, for that animal to be in a home. And so we love to see our animals get to get out of the shelter for half the day, go hit the trails, get their energy out, um, have time, you know, seeing other people, seeing other animals. It actually helps us really in like better understanding that animal. So 
how did he do on the trail? How does he do in the car? Like some dogs who we get, we don't have any history on them because they might have been strays when they originally entered the shelter system. So it's really useful to have all these volunteers who are like supporting us in everything that we do because with 30 people and with the facilities that we have, we're limited in what we can do. And if we didn't have these volunteers, we wouldn't be able to impact nearly as many animals. Leah, it just sounds like you've got such an amazing community that you have built, I'm sure, and and been able to integrate into both with, you know, existing shelters in, in your region where you play a critical role, but then also within your immediate community where you've got this amazing number of hundreds of volunteers. Can, can you just talk a little bit to the work that you and the team have put into the community building aspects of Brother, Brother Wolf? Yeah, absolutely. So Brother Wolf is very lucky to have a community that really supports it. I mean, we are a private nonprofit organization. We don't receive any government funding. Um, it costs about $2 million a year uh, to do what we do. And all of that comes from donors, most of who live in this community. And then on top of that, you have all the fosters that live in this community and all of your volunteers that come to work at the shelter are living in this community. So, so many people are connected to what the work that we do on a daily basis. And I think that sometimes nonprofits can be like an unknown thing to people. You know, you don't even necessarily know like the resources that exist for for children or adults with disabilities or, or things like that, like in your community. Um, and animal welfare is not like that. And I think that a part of that is because of what we were talking about earlier, like that connection that people have with their animals. Once you have an animal in your life and you see that love that develops from that relationship, you care deeply about your dog and your cat and your hamster or bunny or whatever it is for you. <laughs> and people extend that care beyond just that animal. Um, most people will only enter a shelter once or twice in their entire lives because that, you know, they're just not adopting every year. Right. <laughs> and so um, it's really important to us to be community mindsetted so that we were, we're reaching out to our community and saying, hey, this is what's going on here. And when people hear that you need help and that by helping you, it is saving lives of dogs and cats, and they care so deeply about those companion animals, it, it's just this beautiful, like natural thing that happens. I mean, we literally have people show up at our door and say, hey, I, I've heard about you for years. I don't really know exactly what you do or what help you need. But I just lost, you know, my senior dog. This is his bed. These are his harnesses. This is his leash. Like, I want to give you this thing that was left behind from the love of my life. And then I, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of this? And it's, it really is so much love concentrated here because people are passionate about helping the things that they love. And when we have those connections with animals, luckily people want to help and they don't want to see dogs and cats be euthanized at sh 
shelters just because of a lack of space. And so they champion what Brother Wolf does, that we're going and taking these animals and giving them a safe place to land. And luckily, it's also good that you know, there's really easy ways to step into a volunteer role at a shelter. You know, you can walk dogs, you can foster in your own home, you can do short-term things. It doesn't have to be like a really long-term or lengthy thing that you sign up for. So I think it's like a bite-sized volunteer opportunity that's that's really good for people too. You know, it feels comfortable for them um, as an entry point. And we really try to do a good job of um, connecting with our fosters and our volunteers and really learning what they are passionate about. Because if we can find out, just like you do with your staff members, like, what, is, what are you passionate about? What do you really want to do? Uh, you know, we have a volunteer who's really into taking scared cats that they kind of shut down in the shelter because, say, they've, you know, been in a home with a senior their whole life. And then that senior goes to live in an assisted living community and that cat can't go with them. Coming into a shelter environment from that life that that cat's had for 10 years is extremely traumatic to that cat. And they do not always do well with that. And so having these volunteers that you learn like, oh, you really like taking scared cats and like helping them, like seeing them come out of their shell and like, you know, setting up your home in a way that's like best for them to really relax and finding like those things that people make, you know, people feel fulfilled. And then we do um, as good a job as we can of showing gratitude. We really believe that, you know, gratitude is so important. And so finding the route that's best for volunteers so that they are happy with what they're doing and it's meaningful to them. And then us continuing to thank them and tell them how impactful it is. That's the best fit for us. That's amazing. That, that, yeah, that's great. I um, I, I can't help but think that I'll, you've mentioned a few things, Leah, around communication, right? You early on mentioned communicating with the community, communicating with other shelters, communicating with volunteers. I know you're not brand new to your role, but relatively new. I've uh, been there for a couple of years, uh, I believe. And maybe you could just kind of talk to us around uh, a lot of our listeners are our new leaders they're trying to build communication within their organization. They're trying to build communication with their customers. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how how you went through that process of trying to build these communication channels and then also how you fostered that to continue to get feedback, whether it's feedback from team members about how the organization is doing or, you know, feedback from volunteers, as you mentioned, around, you know, how does a particular animal do on a hike? Uh, how do you build all of that communication as an organization to make sure you're hearing feedback from all of your stakeholders and and moving forward? Yes. Oh my gosh. We have so many communication channels. <laughs> and um, when I first got here, you know, just, I believe very much in, in honesty and transparency. And so that was really critical to me, especially um, the organization was going through a period of transition and we really needed to be open and honest and communicate beyond what you even thought you had to communicate with the public. And so we immediately launched into um, doing public communications that was br were bringing people into exactly what was happening with the organization. And I think that by doing so, we built a lot of trust with the community because there was good news in that. And there was also some really troubling news in that we were in a, a really financial disaster when I came here. And so the only way I knew to move forward in that 
role was to be honest and truthful with people and say, you know, this is where we're at. We're in a spot where we could close because the finances are so bad right now. Um, And I had some people say to me, you know, you have to hide some of that stuff because people aren't going to donate to an organization that is telling people that they're in such financial distress. But I didn't think that would be the case. If if I was a donor, I would want to know what was going on um, because people care about what happens here. They're invested in the outcomes that this place produces for the animals that they care about. And so for us, we have really focused on transparency. Our website, of course, like most nonprofits, you know, has all of our financials. We also have all of our outcome data. So you can look on our website and see uh, the numbers of all the animals they, that came in, the avenues through which they came in, and then their outcomes. Of course, you know, an outcome is usually adoption, but there's other outcomes as well for animals who might be too sick to go on to a home. And so for us internally, also, we have been trying to, you know, really amp up the communication with our team. Um, that was something when I first came in that I got feedback. I, I did a, a, a survey with our staff to kind of like get a feel for what I was walking into. So within the first two weeks, we did um, a staff survey. I, of course, had, you know, individual meetings with all of leadership and, and a lot of people um, who reported to those leadership roles as well. I had worked for the organization in the past, and so I had been gone for about three years in another role and then came back. And that was obviously very, very helpful to have been here. I understood the organization from the inside. You know, I had been there and seen the things and heard the things and remained in touch with a lot of the people who were there. So that was extremely helpful into really understanding, like, the things that people don't tell you in a job interview, <laughs> you know, of what's going on, but you really need to understand like what's actually going on for, for these um, employees that work on this team. And so it was a blessing in that way to my understanding of like the baseline that we were at was probably higher than, you know, other people who are going into an organization they've never been a part of, but we had to do a lot of digging to find uh, the, the details in the systems. There weren't a lot of systems that were built here. Um, It happens all the time, right? People are so passionate about nonprofit work and you just focus so much about the task that need to be done for your mission as far as like getting the animals in, getting the animals out, you know, getting the medical care, food, water, cleaning, all that stuff. And of course we have to do that all day, every day, but we also need to run like a business because running a nonprofit, it's really important that you're using sound business practices if you care deeply about what you're doing. You need to make sure that that nonprofit's going to be there for years and years. And so we did a lot of education with our staff as well. Um, We were introducing a lot of systems and that comes with, you know, paperwork and things that aren't great. Not, it's not thrilling to like have to turn in re- detailed reports of spending, <laughs> but those things are really important. And so we had a lot of discussions with our team about why we were implementing these things and how we were going to continue to involve them in those things. So yes, we're asking you to fill out a detailed financial report of like, you know, every single cent that you're 
spending, but we're going to come back and we're going to show you how your piece of the puzzle fit in with everyone else's piece of the puzzle. And I I know that for me in roles at other organizations in the past that had been uh, a missing component, I was always wondering, like, how's the organization doing as a whole, right? Like, I know they're showing me stuff from my department or I'm creating reports for my department. So I kind of understand how my department is doing, but I don't know how the organization as a whole is doing. And I spend time really trying to educate our staff um, during our all staff meetings of why we look at certain metrics and, you know, there's mission metrics and there's also kind of business metrics for us to make sure that we're sustainable. And I really hope that some people at least find that to be an educational opportunity and just a way to put all those pieces together. And I think it also helps them be more accountable to say, okay, I understand like how my piece of the puzzle is impacting everything else that is going on in this organization. And I understand like what the leadership is looking at on on their dashboard. We've tried to really bring everyone into the fold. Um, In nonprofits, you know, people are not getting rich, right? They're not here because they're making a lot of money. They're here because they connect deeply with what you do. And my job is to say, okay, I know that, you know, you're not making six figures. What else matters to you? And usually for people in nonprofits, it's it matters to me to be heard. And and I'm sure, you know, that goes for corporate America too. But if we're not going to be able to pay people a ton of money, then they really need to be in what they care about. For example, we're upgrading our cat housing right now, and we're super excited about it. And we are getting input from every level of the organization. So the people who clean the cat housing have input on it. The people who clean dogs every day have input on it. People who are adoption counselors, because they're interacting with cat housing in a different way than the people who are cleaning it, they're having to use that housing to show the animals to adopters. And then their managers, you know, are of course a part of the conversation. And I just... I love that process. I like getting feedback from a lot of people because it helps me make better decisions. And even if someone suggests something and we don't go that route, they feel better for having been a part of that conversation and having made that suggestion. And they then understand why we didn't go with that option. So we're always following up and saying, you know, this is what we've decided. This is why we've decided that. And for me, that's also been a thing that has been missing in the past with other organizations is kind of like, but why? Why? <laughs> like, why did that happen? Or why is this thing that's happening like impacting me and I wasn't ever a part of it? So I really try to bring our our um, employees in on as many things as I can. And we are constantly having um, conversations with people of like, how can we improve that? Because we have a goal of being transparent. We have a goal of being inclusive and of, of hearing from our employees, but we can always do better than we're doing today. And so we're constantly having conversations about creating those lines of communication um, just better and better. Well, yeah, it seems like you, you've you been 
obviously very busy over the past couple of years. You've been implementing a whole lot of systems. You've been really listening to your community, both the volunteer and, and sort of broader community, and really a lot of your employees. You've taken a financial situation that wasn't in the best place. And, and you know, it sounds like you've really turned that around. What's the cultural aspect of the organization been like? You know, I, I'm sure that people were maybe resistant to doing some of those things like paperwork, um, but I'd love to hear sort of the, the cultural transformation that that's occurred. Yeah, there's been a huge cultural transformation here. And part of it was because when I came in, the organization had started down a path that was more of a um, like a sanctuary path. So there's places that are sanctuaries that take in animals who cannot be adopted out for one reason or another, um, maybe because of aggression issues or other behavior issues, or maybe because they're nearing the end of their life or they have a lot of medical cases. And so when I came in, it was um, for some employees, the first time that they had heard a lot of information about, we say there's so many animals waiting at the gate and our employees don't ever always see those animals. For me, it's really important to say, how can I help the greatest number of animals with the resources I have? There's so many that need our help and for our new leadership team, what was really critical was taking a step back and saying, North Carolina is one of the worst places for animals in the country right now. How can we help to the best extent, right? How can we impact the greatest number of lives? How can we create change that ripple effects and, and really touches um, multiple communities? And so that was a big shift. And not everyone was on board with that shift. And that's okay, too. We were very honest and open and com communicated heavily with our community and with our employees to say, hey, we're going to start doing things a little bit differently because this leadership team and this board of directors really believes that the best thing Brother Wolf can do with their resources is help the greatest number of animals possible because there's so many who need our help. And so... Our team changed a lot and we got some wonderful pe new people who were really into what we were talking about. And we talked heavily about that change um, throughout that whole first year with internal, you know, internal and external. And it was um, it, the culture started to, to really shift. And we went from a culture of where there before had been a lot less communication with employees, a lot less um, employee input on things. There had been not a lot of transparency before with them. And so we were continually saying, hey, here's like the statistics about what's happening in North Carolina. Here's the statistics about what's happening in Western North Carolina with animals. And this is how we're making decisions. So not just saying we're going to do this and not giving any reason behind that decision. You know, my, my presumption was you come in, you've got sort of a negative financial situation. You've got really passionate employees and people that care about, about what, what you're doing, but there's sort of a lack of transparency. There's a lack of systems and you've implemented all these changes. And some of those are, are not fun. Like nobody likes doing paperwork. But the result of that has been, you know, an improvement across the board, it sounds like, and the, the impact that you're able to make. So, so I'm curious how, how gaining like customer input or, or excuse me, employee input 
and integrating some of those systems systems in, even if people don't necessarily like crossing the T's and dotting the I's, in hearing you talk about it, it sounds like there's been a, a very real cultural transformation, even though there are some of those more painful elements to the, to the processes that you're installing. Yeah. And our um, focus with our employees was how can we also make their day-to-day lives better? Because they were going through massive change and change is really hard for people. I have learned just how hard change is for people. And I kind of like change. It it makes me excited and I like get into it. And so that was a learning experience to say, okay, a lot of people like it change is very stressful for people. And so the more clear we could be about the change and really being upfront and saying, this is exactly what we are envisioning going forward with these are going to be the values of our organization. We rewrote our mission statement either um, also. And so like getting our team to realize where we're going and then focusing too on making their day-to-day lives better kind of helped with that transition of saying, I know this is a lot, you know, if you're on board, there's going to be some hard work to be done. And at the same time, we're going to care for you. Uh, just the most simple things of like having the tools you need to do your job. Like, I, I mean, it sounds kind of crazy, but I've been in so many situations in the past where like people just don't have the tools they need to do their job. They're using like a computer that takes 10 minutes to load their email. <laughs> and then when they bring it up, it's like, oh, we don't have resources for that. Well, we didn't have resources for anything, really, right? We were in this like total financial disaster back then, which we have recovered from and are very, very excited to walk down that path. And it was a great learning experience for us. Um, and we came out victorious on the other side. And now things run with systems. And I think that our team sees the value of that now because the discussions went from a time of crisis to not a time of crisis. And during the crisis and now, we still try to support those team members to have conversations about what does your future look like here? For example, we instituted exit interviews, right? Because we want to get feedback from people who are leaving the organization and that had not been previously done. And when we were doing these exit interviews, we were getting all this really valuable information. And so it made us think, you know, it would have really been great if we knew this before this person was leaving. And so doing more check-ins with employees and taking those exit interview questions, some of them, and um, putting them into like a 90-day check-in or a six-month check-in, no matter how long you've been here, or your annual reviews, to really understand. I mean, these people are so passionate about what they do. They want this organization to be just as successful as I want it to be. You know, they're not working at a retail store that they don't really care about. This is a place they care deeply about. So when they have input, I love it. It, It's good. It's useful. It helps me do my job better. And then they do their job better too, because they're so energized by giving that feedback and seeing real change. I mean, something so simple as asking employees what they think we should stock at our retail store. We have a retail store so that when people adopt from us, they can outfit the things that they need for their new cat or their new dog. 
And just simply asking employees, you know, are there things that we don't have at our retail store that you're hearing from adopters that they want? We got amazing answers from them, like things that I would have never thought of or things that I thought in my head, like, oh, of course we have that and we don't have that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it's such a great group of people that we have here now because we have been very clear of what we're doing here. This, These are our values. This is our mission. This is how we tackle the problem. Because there's in animal welfare, there's so many different ways to tackle the problem. And so you have groups that have different beliefs in how the problem should be tackled. And so we try to educate our staff on what the problem is. We answer the questions of them and saying, this is how we believe this is best to serve the greatest number of animals and save the greatest number of lives. That's what's most important to us. This is how we do that. And then getting their feedback into things and being really transparent with how things are going. I don't always feel like I'm the person that has the greatest pulse on what the culture is. You know, it's so hard as the head of the organization to always like get the most honest feedback from people. But We use consultants to do um, surveys with our staff so that we can get anonymous feedback from people. We sit down with people and have conversations because, yes, anonymous feedback can be useful, but also we don't want to create a culture where everything has to be done anonymously. We want people to have real conversations, even hard conversations, face-to-face and go through that learning process. So we're continually getting um, feedback from the doctors, too. So we've had some feedback recently that, you know, our facility, when people walk into the facility, a shelter historically has people kind of see it as like a sad place to go, right? Some people say, oh, I don't want to go to a shelter. They may have never been to a shelter in their whole life, but they have this feeling innately or because of things they've seen on television or things they've heard that they don't want to go to a shelter because it's sad. And We have gotten some feedback recently that, you know, our lobby area, the first place that people see, it's not really joyful enough. I mean, I agree. I agree. It could be way more joyful and it could be um, more elevated to the, the truth of what the organization is. I mean, this is a place that is full of love and joy. And so when people walk through that front door, they should feel that they should, you know, they see these animals, they see they're very well cared for. But it's a it's a shelter and it people have emotions about going into a shelter. And so we've had conversations with our employees recently about how do you think we could transform our lobby so that when people walk in, they don't have anything in their head that is confirmed that a shelter is sad or dingy or, you know, not not joyful. How can we have an experience for customers, our adopters, to walk in the door and be met with, oh my gosh, th- this is a this is a joyful place. And so we're we've had these great conversations and out of it came that what if we hired a muralist? Because that's very, very popular in Asheville. We have these wonderful, talented artists who do these murals. And we are now starting to work with a muralist and updating the cat housing. We're getting new lighting put in the lobby because we now understand who we are and our staff understands who we are. And they understand that we want to portray ourselves in a way that is the the most transparent and, and a like visually 
obvious to people who walk in of what we're trying to accomplish. We also blew up like our outcome reports. Our outcome report says we did this many adoptions. We spayed and neutered this many animals. We put this many animals into foster homes. We had this many volunteers. We have that blown up now and and in our lobby. And so I think having those continual conversations throughout this time with people at all levels of the organization has really solidified who we are to people so that now from the hiring point on, we're having these conversations at every level and everyone gets it. Everyone's like, this is what we're trying to accomplish. This is how we accomplish it. This is what it feels like to work here. And this is what we want it to feel like for people who come here to adopt. Leah, that's great. I I think that uh, Mike and I um, are probably hearing a lot of themes that we we speak to organizations about a lot. Um, And so really love the fact that you're trying to create that that vision between somebody's individual role and the overall organizational mission. That alignment we find is incredibly impactful. And I think the the thing that you touched on that I that I really think I, I want our listeners to know is is it doesn't always have to be big, right? Sometimes obviously there are big changes. It sounds like there was a lot of, you know, difficult circumstances uh that you and your team went through. There are those times in any organization where, you know, there's a lot of change happening. But I like the idea of the the little conversations, right? Like what should be in the retail store? What should be in our lobby? That kind of continuous feedback and continuous um, you know, communication with your teams. Sometimes folks say, I, I just don't have the time to have to build a new communication process. How do I do that? And we always say, you just do it a little bit each time, right? Each day you ask your team how they're doing. You ask your team what resources they need. You have those conversations every day and it just becomes part of your normal process versus having a special meeting to figure out how you're going to you know, build a new feedback loop, right? You just start asking for feedback and start acting on that feedback. And it starts to happen as part of your process. So so really like hearing some of those themes that are coming out in terms of how you support your team, your volunteers, your community. One of the things we uh, often work with you know, companies and, and nonprofits around is what does that full stakeholder map look like? And who are the other people in our ecosystem? Um, it sounds like you and the organization are getting out there and trying to work with other stakeholders. So Maybe you could tell us a little bit about how do you use partnerships and ecosystem kind of partners and stakeholders to amplify your efforts and their efforts, right? Like how do you work together to achieve a shared mission of improving animal welfare? So in animal welfare, there can oftentimes be this kind of infighting, right? Because we all care passionately about making the world a better place for animals. And we have different ideas about how to best do that. And when I first came to Brother Wolf, I knew that there was a history of the organization um, having a hostile relationships at times with other places. And we knew from the beginning we had to change that. And so we went in person to so many places and we actually still do today. We show up in person to other shelters. Um, it's something that really doesn't happen a lot. Like I don't know if many other people from other shelters have, have been here, but just showing up at that place and being like a genuine person, you know, and asking them questions that matter to them and not coming at them with judgment. We are a private nonprofit organization. We're not a municipal agency. A lot of municipal agencies in animal welfare, they have to take the animals that come to their doorstep. 
And so they are confronted with huge numbers of animals and really need help dealing with that issue. And so what we did is we reached out to them and said, can we come talk to you? Because I just feel like, you know, talking to people face to face just is so much better for a relationship building. And it's something that that we don't see happen that often as far as like taking ourselves out of these really busy days at animal shelters and going to another animal shelter and saying, what are you guys struggling with? Like, how can we help you? Those conversations just don't happen that often and in animal welfare. And I think that they're so valuable because there can be this division of how you see the world and how you see the answers to the problems that's okay if people see the world differently than us. And that's okay if they see the solutions to the problems differently than us. There's probably some point where we can overlap. There's probably some point where we say, hey, yeah, we totally agree on this and we we can help in this regard. And so there was a lot of relationship repairing and relationship building that we did. And we just tried to be human beings about it. And it was okay if we went somewhere and, and disagreed with them. We never had a bad experience ever. We always went to places that were, you could tell like when you show up, you know, they're, they're like, I don't know why they're here or like, it, are they going to say things to like, is, is this going to be like a hostile thing, you know, are they, are they going to be judgmental? There's a lot of like judgment, you know, sometimes. And we um, have team members who are, who are not like that. And specifically, of course, had conversations, you know, about why we were doing this, whatever our intention was behind it. And when you ask people what these, you know, what can I do to help? Or when you say to people, oh my gosh, like you're doing such a good job at this. You can just feel that armor that they've put on before you got there, like start to fall off. And then by the end of that conversation, you know, we've created a partner that trusts us. And it's really important to have trust because what happens sometimes in animal welfare that Private nonprofits will sometimes say, oh, well, this, you know, this animal went into this shelter and it didn't didn't get the medical care it needed. Shame on that shelter. Well, the, the reason the animal didn't get the medical care it needed is not shame on that shelter. Everybody who works in animal welfare like, wants to do the best that they can, but they don't have the resources always. I mean, we don't have the resources to do everything we want to do. We're all limited in our resources. And so breaking down those barriers and making sure that we are never demonizing anyone else for the good work that they are trying to do. And we honestly see them as partners. When we talk to our employees about our shelter partners, we we call them shelter partners. And we talk about our partnership and we talk about us helping them. It is our job as a private nonprofit to say, how can we help you? Because they are the ones that have animals flooding into their doors. And so it's our job to be their support system. And, and we firmly believe that and we educate our staff on that as well. And having everyone buy into that really makes it a very joyful relationship and, and getting animals from these places. You know, it can be tough for shelters sometimes to reach out to other people and ask for help, or they could be afraid that there's going to be communications later on that kind of demonizes them for needing that help because it can be something that you could make look bad, right? If, if you say, oh, the shelter is so overcrowded and, you know, they're 
putting multiple dogs in a run. Well, the reason they're putting multiple dogs in a run is because they don't want to euthanize animals for space. And so when you show up and you see that and you don't say, oh, I don't know why you're putting multiple dogs in a run. We don't say that. We say, do you think you could? we could help you by taking some of these dogs so that you don't have to put multiple dogs in a run? It's just a different way of, you know, approaching it and being a, a true partner is what we find to be the most successful. And those people have helped us out too. You know, I mean, our shelter floods sometimes <laughs> like we need a new shelter. It's not the greatest building. I always say, you know, there's a lot of good things that happen here, but the building isn't great. <laughs> so the, but they've helped us in the past to say, oh my gosh, you guys are flooding. Like we have gone to other shelters and set up crates in their like, you know, meeting rooms and put animals in, in crates in their meeting rooms. And so it's so important to have those really respectful um, partnerships to us and do whatever we can to be a true friend to the people who are working as hard as they can with the limited resources they have to change animals' lives. We all want the same thing. Even if we see it a little bit differently, we all want ultimately the same thing. And so we will never put down an organization. We don't do it internally. We absolutely would never do it publicly. And we are honest in wanting to be true partners. Awesome. I think that from our perspective, um, I know that the conversation has uh, has been having some some definite positives in terms of all the things you're doing to support your teams, but also recognize it is really hard work. And, and I've heard that theme come through loud and clear from you today. So maybe just to kind of end us on a on a high note, you could tell us a tell us a couple of maybe stories or anecdotes recently from some of your success stories. It sounds like Brother Wolf has been been able to save I believe you said 9,000 animals um, and, and get them adopted out. Um, so maybe you could just share with us uh, some, uh, some of the recent, uh, recent uh, adoptees or different programs that you've had that have been really successful lately. Yeah, absolutely. Best thing in the world to do. <laughs> um, yes, last year we impacted over 9,000 animals and um, this year we're on course to do that as well. And so, um, for example, we had a woman come to us who, sadly, there was a really bad storm here and a tree fell on her house. And she has had, um, his name's Jake. He's a um, golden retriever mixed dog and he's 10 years old. She got him as a puppy and she showed us pictures of getting him as a puppy. I mean, this dog was dearly loved by this family. And they have um, kids who have grown up with Jake. The Jake's older than the kids. So um, the really, you know, a, a member of their family. But suddenly they found themselves in a situation where they didn't have a home anymore. And they're having to move in with family. And a lot of times family can't accommodate the pets that might come in a, situa a crisis situation like that. And so we have um, offered them, you know, to come to Brother Wolf, have conversations with us. It was really important to them that their animal was well cared for and was going to land at a place where he would be safe and happy and that he would have a good future in this time of crisis where they felt like they had no other option. And so while some things, you know, might start off sad, I mean, they're going through a crisis and they're having to give up a dog that they really love. At the same time, it's wonderful to walk into a place where people are going to sit down with you and have conversations and they're not going to judge you. We can be judgmental sometimes about, you know, people giving up their animals because we think, oh my gosh, I would never do that. 
But you have no idea what you would do if you ended up in a crisis situation and we're all just a few steps away from, you know, being in a situation like that if, if some terrible things happen in our lives. So Jake showed up and he is 10 years old and he's just so loving and he's a little nervous, right? It's, it's, it can be nervous for animals to come into a shelter. Our staff immediately loves this dog, of course, and uh, just like every dog that walks into our front door. And I think it gave that an- the family so much comfort to see the joyful reactions from our staff. You know, we spent time talking to them and, and it was a, a sad goodbye for them. But at the same time, they saw like, oh my gosh, these people are like, they really like this dog. They're like <laughs> walking this dog or petting this dog or like, hugging this dog. And to know that this animal that I really care about and then unfortunately I can't care for at this moment in my life anymore is landing somewhere where he is loved and nurtured and cared for. And we always lean on our foster homes when we get senior animals in because a shelter can be a stressful place for any animal, especially a senior animal. And so it was great to be able to put a call out to our fosters and say, hey, we have a 10-year-old dog coming in. He's always lived in a family environment. Does anyone um, want to take him on as a foster? And we were able to get Jake into a foster home in half a day. So he was only in the shelter for half a day. He went to live in a foster home and he was adopted out even at 10 years old. You know, we have this incredible community that wants to help animals and he's just such a great loving boy. And we found someone who was looking for a senior and they were really eager to adopt him. And so, you know, while he did go through some trauma in his life, the future is really bright for him. And he we were able to go back to that family and say, you know, Jake has found an incredible home. He's going to be deeply loved. And if you guys are ever interested in adding another animal to your home, we would be more than happy to have that conversation with you because that can happen sometimes too, where people feel like, oh, well, I would never be allowed to go back to that shelter and adopt an animal because I gave up an animal. We don't believe in that at all. There's things that could happen to any of us that could put us in situations where we would have to make choices that we never thought we'd have to make. And people are trying to do the best that they can in any given situation. And we always want to be welcoming and an inviting place in this community. Um, so we we loved having Jake for a little bit. It, it's... Um, it's like a mix of emotions. Every time an animal gets adopted, we're like, oh, we're not going to see you. But luckily they always send us pictures and (laughs) we share the pictures with all of our staff members when we get them. And to know that he's like a treasured member of someone else's family is really awesome. That's an amazing story. And I am, I'm partial to it because I I adopted my pup. uh, She's a senior and she was a little over 10 when I adopted her. And so it definitely warms my heart to hear about other senior dogs being adopted. Um, and finding loving homes. And I have to say, it's been a few years now uh, since since I adopted. Um, but I, I will say that the experience was just one of the most special experiences. I think everybody at Brother Wolf was so excited to see my pup going home, um, but also really just supportive of, to your point, you know, all of those questions you have in the retail store, like, what things do I need on the first night? And, and, and kind of answering questions and making sure that that process went well, um, checking in to see how it was going. You know, I think that there's a there's a really nice special bond there that you have when you adopt a a pet um, and having a shelter really care about that pet ongoing is 
the as the pet owner, you're you that really feels nice to you, right? You're like, oh, you're as invested in this in this animal as I am, um, and it's a it's a really truly um, wonderful experience. So, Leah, thank you so much for coming on today and and sharing the story of of your leadership and and your team. It's been uh, uh, nice for us to be able to do a spotlight on a you know a, an animal rescue on on a, such an important day in terms of adopting a shelter pet. If folks want to learn more about Brother Wolf and and follow you and follow the the animals uh, that you're serving and 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 your community, are there ways they can do that on on social media or your website? Absolutely. I think the Brother Wolf Facebook page and Instagram page are the happiest places to be on the internet. <laughs> so uh, we post so many adoption photos of people who are just like bursting with joy and, you know, holding the kitten or the puppy or the senior dog like Jake um, and getting adopted. And so uh, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Our website is bwar.org. Uh, we're in Asheville, North Carolina, and we'd love to see you if you're ever in the area. Um, you People can stop by even if they don't live here full time and they can be a part of what we do. And they can also adopt from out of the area as well. So we um, we hope you get involved. Yeah. And we'll, for all of our listeners, we'll share um, that the information for Brother Wolf in the show notes. So if you visit the show notes, you can, you can find all of those links. Um, so you can stay in touch with Brother Wolf as you're interested. But again, Leah, thank you so much for your time today. Um, and uh, we, we really loved having you and uh, we will hopefully uh, keep staying in touch. <laughs> Absolutely. It was such a treat to talk about things that I feel really passionate about. So thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Building Teams with Teams & Co. To learn more about the latest thinking on how to empower your team to deliver exceptional results or to book a consultation, please visit us at teamsandco.com or follow us at LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.